And welcome to the VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour, and we are going back to 1984 to hang out with a wonderful woman. And I'm joined by Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? I am so much better as of, what was it, yesterday at noon uh, in the United States? Yeah, feeling when, good. Uh, Max Lord, when Max Lord left the presidency? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, he rescinded uh, Jason, his wish. <laughs> and Jason Diamond. How are you, sir? Good. I, I'm also good once um, Trump rescinded his wish at noon on uh, yesterday. Yeah, so as you may gather, we are recording this uh, uh, as the U.S. heralds in a new era uh, of political, uh, how can I put this, stability? Schizophrenia. And, <laughs> and, uh, and the world goes crazy with memes of a certain chap sitting in a certain jacket that he's worn before at a certain inauguration. And thank you to Matt for that. So look, we're talking about Wonder Woman 84 and... Uh, a film that is interesting in many respects. It's released simultaneously uh, in different places, in different ways. Certainly, I got to see it in a cinema here uh, in a traditional way because I'm in Australia and we don't really believe in this whole uh, mass... Uh, how can I put this? We, we don't really adopt a policy where herd immunity is gained by mass infection. We decided to just stop doing stuff and have um, and, and have been very lucky. I must admit, a lot of it's luck that uh, we don't have so that problem is we can go to cinemas but you guys presumably saw it on tv is that right yeah and uh and you have pretty good uh visual viewing experiences i'm sure so uh why don't jason we start with you what did you actually think of the film and presumably you saw the first one and uh how did it match up it did i saw the first one i liked it i mean i'm a i like gal gadot i think besides being maybe one of the most beautiful women on the planet she's also a good actress and I don't mean that in a sexist way. I'm just saying, like, you know, it's how those things go sometimes. And I, I really I like I've seen her in other movies. I like her. I think she's a great actress. She's fun to watch. She's got good personality, good comedy timing. And I like the movie. I love Pedro Pascal. Who doesn't? Uh, Kristen Wiig. Kind of weird casting. But but, you know, she did a she was great. She's always great. Everybody's great. It always comes down to the script. The script was a little like, eh. Like it just, I don't know. It just didn't, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't, wasn't tenant, you know, but it was, uh, <laughs> wait, I gotta, I gotta unpack that a second. Uh, firstly, you thought 84 wasn't bad. And then secondly, you thought that it was better than tenant. Am I hearing this? Correctly? Well, I'm, I, I'm saying we're, we're in relational, uh, space here, uh, in a, in a regressive, in a, in the regressive form of script writing, uh, to use tenants language. Uh, it's enjoyable, uh, but wow. Okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. But, I'm going to talk to Matt. But we also, uh, I yeah. also like Scott Pilgrim. You know, where this is the Scott Pilgrim oh, scenario. That's a terrible oh, movie. Yeah. But but anyway, okay. Anyway, the movie was. Enjoyable. I'm not talking to you. It wasn't no, no. amazing. Shh, shh, shh. You got to stop talking right now. Close your mouth. But, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> we, we, you're in the penalty box with the tenant remark. You'll be allowed oh out in a few seconds. Matt, <laughs> what did you think? Uh, well, let's say I, I really enjoyed the first Wonder Woman movie. I thought it was super refreshing. It was um, mm -hmm. a super fun, like great. It had a great energy. It really focused on um, the the main character, the Gal Gadot uh, uh, Wonder Woman. It was super. Um, yeah, it was just super rich. I liked the, the fact that it was set 
primarily in kind of that World War One time frame. It made it really, um, uh, you know, kind of visually sumptuous. I think Patty Jenkins actually is a really cool and interesting uh, director and filmmaker. I heard a just quick side note. I heard a great interview with her on uh, the Mark Marin podcast, the WTF, and mm -hmm. uh, she is an amazing uh, woman. She's got this incredible like punk rock background, like going to all these punk mm -hmm. shows growing up and things about her that I didn't know, which made her seem uh, infinitely cooler to me than she did before. But I will say this Wonder Woman 84, I, I thought it was terrible. I think it's a terrible movie. I think it's a terrible sequel to an incredibly successful uh, first movie. Um, I think this the script is really bad. There's almost nothing in it about the main character, Wonder Woman. She's like, she's a secondary or tertiary character in the movie. Mm -hmm. And um, there's some cool visual effects and some cool visuals, but I thought Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig, who I like both of them in their sort of, you know, I, I love Narcos. Uh, uh, I thought that was a great uh, show, and I, I like Kristen Wiig on Saturday Night Live and stuff and in some of the movies she's been in, but I thought they were both terribly cast in this and poorly uh, executed, and there's some really strange um, story elements in this that are so disturbing, like the weird Chris Pine zombie uh, mm -hmm. like body horror thing where essentially I, I wonder know. woman I, I, wonder woman winds up like raping this guy like who's not yeah. the real guy <laughs> like it's so twisted it's, and weird it's all perception matt it's all perception I, matt. now you're still on the in the you know <laughs> so I, I, didn't, I didn't like this movie i i just think it's i it was really boring it didn't have any of the excitement and fun of the first one i don't know if it was entirely a script problem like i i feel like at least here in the States, that was why they decided, oh, we can put it out on HBO Max because um, nobody would, no one can go to a theater, but probably it wouldn't do so hot in the theater anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I must admit when I was watching Stranger Things meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets Cats, I did wonder like whether I was anywhere close to the target demographic for this film. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe it's conceivable that if you were, you know, 13, that you would think it was uh, a good film, but I think that's doing a disservice to thirteen-year-olds. Um, <laughs> the 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 problem I had with it, well, I had two problems with it. Firstly, I had an enormous problem with the plot and just the whole yes. idea of it. And then secondly, there's just at times the visuals just seemed so uh, reminiscent of an age I thought we'd gone past. My my big criticism, and I, I know some people have liked it, but I certainly didn't. The things like lassoing um, lightning bolts. Yeah, or cloud. and so, or whatever. Yeah, and so the thing is, at like some point, you're going look, like there is no um, intelligent uh, assumption that the audience is going to be even vaguely kind of, you know, treated with uh, respect here, because you know a lightning bolt is not something that you're going to be able to lasso. I don't care how magical things are, unless you give up everything and say everything is completely magical and everything is completely farcical, and then in which case you lose any drama because nobody can be hurt and nobody can lose if you can just do anything. And so when you get to these super fast moving cameras that can do anything and, mm -hmm. you know, Wonder Woman becomes Spider-Man while fighting, um, you know, Jellicle cats, it's just, it's like, I just tune out. I'm like, well, I don't really care about this. And then the absurd kind of, we're setting something in 84 
Uh, for no reason. So that's great. For no reason, exactly. Because by the end of the film, it was futuristic tech, right? Like we could somehow communicate with every set mm -hmm. on the planet through some super uber clever thing that I was apparently invented nigh on what, 30 years ago or something um, and 40 years ago. And the thing is, like, I don't know how this tech escaped our attention for the last few decades, but it was pretty awesome tech. And then the, the sort of very premise that there is a magical thing that is in no way explained that just appears as a device to allow a very implausible, everybody has a wish that somehow can coexist with everybody else's wish and is all terrible. And nobody thought to wish, I wish it wasn't like this, or I wish it would go back to normal, or I wish this well, didn't I think happen. That's the, I think that's a little bit of the point, to be fair. Uh, the whole point is that people are, you know, on the whole, when given the opportunity to do that, would be fairly selfish about it. I mean, but don't you feel this is the same problem that we had in, say, the Superman movie, right? Where the Warner Brothers films tend to go so big that they just become preposterous, right? Like when yeah, Superman totally. had a thing that was drilling through one side of the planet to the other mm -hmm. side of the planet, and the entire planet was at threat. <clears throat> And even in the old Superman movies, like when you could go no further and Lois Lane is dead, he just flies around the earth counterclockwise, reverses the rotation of the earth, which magically makes time go backwards. It's like, I, I just feel like, particularly, I know you were joking about Tenet, but at least at Tenet, you could argue that somebody had really tried to think through various plot points. Maybe it was too convoluted for your taste, and I totally accept that. But it, here it was just like, yes, well, she needs to be able to fly. Yes. Yeah, no, but we need to be able to fly so she can fly. You know, yeah, uh, that, she needs yeah, to be able to lasso. Yeah. So, so to give my actual review, uh, I agree with both of you um, pretty much wholeheartedly. I think, uh, I think um, the, uh, all the same issues you said, like, you know, there is no reason for it to be set in the 80s. They didn't even do it well. Like it looked like, it looked like a giant soundstage, you know, or, or backlot at all times. Um, I do like Pedro Pascal and I think he did his character well by being kind of absurd and like this TV huckster guy. Um, Which I there was if it some... hadn't been for your president, I would have said was an implausibly pantomime character. See? See? But I had to eat my words on that one. The, the, and I will say the, the, um, I probably beginning of second act scene where DC is like all, a tussle and there's all this stuff and they're running and there's, I was like, you know, when this movie came out, everyone would probably be like, Oh, that's so crazy. But I just watched it today. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I've seen that before. Like that's actually pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> to how shit's going on. So, you know, it's these movies age actually reasonably well, but, uh, but the, uh, I had some of my other, to your point about the last thing, the clouds, and we can get in this, we do the visual effects. There was also some odd, shot design choices like the end battle spoiler alert obviously but to make a gray grayish black character fighting at night in a grayish black environment seemed very odd like you could barely see where she was and you see gal gadot's you know gold which is even close still in the same color family as the environment but at least was reflective it, it there was just some very odd design choices uh, for the environments and things uh, that sort of jumped out at me. 
But even that gold suit, which looks good as a single frame, perhaps you could argue mm-hmm. it's kind of like intriguing, um, and certainly be, screamed disco. But the it'd thing is, hard it, to fight in. <laughs> well, it'd be it's ridiculous to fight, in, but also it proved completely ineffectual, right? Like within seconds of getting into the fight, most of the bits fell off, and <laughs> it's meant to be this kind of cornerstone of you know the most powerful yeah. suit kind of ever. And it's like, well, that didn't work very well, did it? Um, and, and then you know the whole so. I guess my thing is you need to have engagement. You need to lean into characters and care about them. And you need to believe that they actually have peril. So on the surface, you could have done that with this plot, right? If she really had to pick between Steve and helping people, that has been done before in a Superman movie. But -hmm. at least, you know, it gives you some kind of, well, obviously that's hard because she has, you know, personal versus public life kind of commitments. Um, It's not original, but you could sort of get into it. But this, uh, yeah, sort of absurd. And and the other thing that was just really galling to me is that first scene with the um, athletics carnival, which, you know, was obviously over the top, but it kind of reminded you what the film could have been. Like that was really interesting visually, I thought, the athletics carnival. And um, it was good that the little girl didn't win or the little, uh, you know, Wonder Woman didn't win that she, uh, mm-hmm. but there was like lots of interesting aspects to it. Um, yeah. And that she missed a, you know, a gate and all that kind of stuff. It was, it just wasn't, oh, yes, of course, Diana's always been the most powerful ever, but clearly she's sort of super powerful. Uh, and then we never saw it again. So like, well, that was just, we were reminding you of some cool stuff from the previous movie. Oh, okay. Now we're going to sit in 1984. And we've my, seen Stranger my Things do it so well. My issue with that opening scene uh, was that everyone sounded like they had a Russian accent and not like a the Greek-ish accent they're supposed to have. And uh, I'm assuming they're Greek-ish, right? Is that the, or Amazons, but they're not, I mean, it always felt Greek to me for some reason. Maybe it's just the, like blue sea, whatever. But they all sounded Russian to me. Like uh, Robin Wright <laughs> Penn, you know, had like a very Russian-y kind of, uh, back of the throat kind of accent. It seemed kind of weird. I was like, wait, what? What? I don't know. It's nitpicky stuff, but I think there's a lot the plot, of but... I, I feel like there's a lot of great stuff. Like there's a lot of great ideas in this. And I actually maybe counter to what you were saying uh, earlier, Mike, like I think setting it in 1984 is a compelling choice. Uh, and there are things about that that could I think when when you think about it on paper, I think there's things about that that are really interesting. Like if we think about the eighties as sort of, at least in the United States, it's that era, the Reagan era of like mourning in America and like greed being, it's the Gordon Gecko, right? Greed is good mm-hmm. and you can have it all. Yep. And, and I think thematically those concepts and ideas are really, are really interesting. I think where it goes off the rails from a script standpoint and it makes the movie, the movie overall suffers is that they don't provide uh, any audience like way in to really care about Wonder Woman. Like she's the, the title character. She's why we're going to see this movie. And there's no real sense of any really deep sense of loss over the Uh, Chris Pine character. There's no real sense of jeopardy or peril. The most compelling sense of like that lesson is that opening sequence where she loses as a kid, but they never really weave that back in, in a really powerful way. It felt like 
the the way the Wonder Woman character is portrayed in the film, she's really just kind of she's like a, a cardboard cutout kind of walking through the film. And there's there's very little opportunity for the actor to portray any real um, emotion well, in any scenes. And so I think for us as the audience, I, I walked away from it feeling like kind of just felt kind of goofball, like cold and emotionless. Well, also in, in after that opening scene, when we go to the mall heist thing where we where where they, you know, we think it's just a heist thing, you know, for whatever. And that's where they steal the stone. And that's how the thread to get it into their hands, which is fine. I actually really liked her like kind of introduction as a modern like superhero to the 80s where they didn't know who mm-hmm. she was. And people are like, and she looks at the little girl and says, Shh, whatever. Like, I kind of thought that whole sequence was fun. And very, you know, shot really well, good design. You know, she's popping around the place. You know, she's going to capture the guys. They're kind of goofy comic book caper guys. Um, But my issue with it is that they never again deal with the fact that they never they go to such lengths there to say that she's like nobody knows who she is. And there's this voiceover from like a TV commentator afterwards, you know, this you know, unidentified, blah, blah, blah. Once again, you know, reports of whatever. And then at no point is it ever dealt with again that that's happening. You know, they never, well, why she did never she, is. Why did she come out, as it were, and be a, a public hero in 84? Why wasn't she doing that constantly since World War One? right? Right, like exactly. If there'd been some kind of, you know, that they'd been tracking this character that had kept on coming in and off the radar every decade or so. But but the other thing yeah. is, and look, I'm not smart enough to write it, but wouldn't it have been marvelous if we were sitting here talking about how clever it was that they presented problems in 84 that we could solve easily with today's tech and were precursors of today's tech. And so, you know, like clearly she couldn't work out where Steve was because there was no way to, you know, like, and. Obviously, today we'd do it with a mobile phone or where's my, you know, where's mm-hmm. my iPhone or something like that. And and so if you were clever in the writing, you'd really play on the fact that in 1984, you know, you'll have to fax that to me, right? And then you can't quite make it out on the fax. And it would be really funny because we'd all mm-hmm. be like, oh, my God, like in 1984, it was just, you know, I, I've forgotten how primitive it was sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and... Yet they didn't do that. They went the other way and suddenly had this mega tech at the end of speaking to all yeah. television sets and allowing contact somehow with people through this, you know, no, unknown yeah. magic tech. Yeah, I was just like, oh. And the other thing I didn't like, I must admit, is I found whenever you make the criminals very pantomime like they were in the sequence of the, uh, the mall, mm-hmm. you know, I don't find that very appealing. Like the... You can make it a bit funny, but when they were doing funny in the Marvel series, they didn't make the villains out to be, you know, big-faced kind of like, you know, yeah. just sort of, oh, gosh, mm-hmm. oh, no, you know, hey, don't go that way, Dave. You know, like it was just yeah. <laughs> much more plausible. And, um, you know, like imagine when she goes to the little girl, shh, and the little kid, are you kidding me? I'm going to tell everybody I know about this. You know, like that kind of humor, yeah. right, which the mm-hmm. audience is sort of like, if you can sort of slightly go across your expectation, then it's funny, which I've always found really good in the Iron Man films. You know, when Happy's character does stuff, it's always sort of like, you know, like yeah. he'll say, like, quick, we're going to get in the ship. And then the ship would just be completely blown up. And you'd be like, well, that's not working. And, and we'd yeah. all laugh, right? <laughs> but it wouldn't be like a double take from 
from um, Happy's character with a sort of like, you know, a, a uh, Vaudillian kind of um, very obvious double take. So I guess that's what I found. It's like, oh, really? This is, this is a bit of a strain. But yeah. now I, I, we should shift, I guess, to the visual effects. And, and while I agree that some of the visual effects were really, really good, I still don't think as an industry we can tick the box that we know how to do human cats. And I don't think this film basically progressed our ability to say, yes, if only they made cats this year rather than last year, they'd have had a winner on their hands. And and the fact that they even tried, can you be in the meeting? It's like, hey, hey, uh, Jason, uh, good point. I'm just going to talk to Matt about this for a second. Matt, uh, Jason wants us to do a cat that's like a person. Now, um, now it's true uh, that that he doesn't want this to look anything like cats, because that was about the most mocked film ever. But, but Matt, how do you think we should go about that? Should we make it look like a like a person wearing cat makeup? That sounds like a good idea to me. What do you think? I, mean, yeah, I think I mean it is it is one of those things that's so funny. Like the um, I, I worked on a project in New York in uh, the turn of the millennium, the the Matthew Barney movie, The Cree Master Three, and in that we had Amy Mullins, who is a Paralympic athlete and model and stuff, and she um. She played this part in this sequence in the Guggenheim Museum where she, she was made up by uh, Gabe Bartalos of Atlantic West Effects, who's a, a really great practical makeup effects guy, um, to look like a like a cheetah. And they built these cheetah legs with like that extra joint for her lower legs because she has no uh, lower legs just below the knee um, from uh, from birth, really from I think from her first birthday. Um, because she was born with a missing one of the bones in the lower leg, but um, so she was in this film and and um, and she's a you know great actor and she was in Stranger Things and stuff. She's awesome, uh, awesome woman. Um, but she, the makeup and trying to make her look like a cheetah, it it had the same problem as this did. Like it looks ridiculous, and I think it looks ridiculous for a few reasons. Um, a cat, a, you know, a quadruped that has that like high ankle. Right, the way that mm-hmm. a, a quadruped has that real high ankle that we sort of look at as almost like a backwards knee, but it's really a high ankle with a large lower foot, and the knee is much higher up, kind of near like where the hip, where it connects to the the pelvis. And I think when you take that sort of quadruped design and assign it to a biped, who then is going to stand upright with that extra joint, and then still have human arms and hands even if they put claws on the fingertips or whatever, and then a tail, there's just something about it that like it, it will always look like a human in a cat suit. It doesn't look like a human who is now cat like, right? Because they're still walking primarily Mm -hmm. on their hind legs, even if they do kind of lean forward and kind of do the sort of, you know, uh, American werewolf in London style kind of thing. It just, it never works. Mm -hmm. And it just looks absurd. Would Spider-Man have been successful if he had back legs that looked like those of a spider? Like, you yeah. know, you just, you don't <laughs> need had, her like, to look eyes. like an actual yeah. cheetah. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So the new Spider-Man has, yeah, three, 38 well, eyes. But Well, also, also, they, again, to my earlier point, the only time you really see her as the cheetah is when she shows up for that night fight. Like, she doesn't come Which, didn't that look the- like a set? That looked like a set. Well, so yeah, bad. I mean, that's what I'm saying. The environment was all gray and musty, and that's fine. 
but her coat as a cat was the exact same color as the environment. It made no sense to me. She was monochromatic for all intents and purposes. The environment's monochromatic. And then you have, you know, I, I don't know. It just, I found myself struggling on a sitting eight feet from a 65 inch television in Dolby vision going, where is she? Yeah. yeah and she's not, she's not menacing either. Like I think the, no. the sort of diminutive nature of that character earlier on in the story compared to the sort of statuesque Amazonian uh, yeah. kind of wonder woman, sort of the presence that she has where she really, she never looks weak which is cool. I mean, that's a cool part of her character, but, but to have her then face off with this kind of angry Catwoman sort of thing, it just, it, it never felt, uh, like a fair fight. You know, it never really seemed like there was any real jeopardy that our hero character was in. Yeah. I think, I think, I, I mean, that end fight sequence from a visual effects standpoint fails for me on environment and on Catwoman, uh, or Cheetah, because, the, the cat doesn't work. It just looks silly. Um, and and quite frankly, I think the costume doesn't work on Wonder Woman either for the same, you know, this sort of super disco outfit. But leave that aside for a second. At least that, you know, could have plausibly maybe worked. But the environment work is so 10 years ago. I mean, it just looked like a soundstage. And in this day of virtual production with these really terrific LED walls and everything, we've become used to saying, hey, I can make this stage look really like anywhere, Iceland, wherever you like. And so to go back to the sort of what looked like, I'm going to be slightly facetious, but that looked like paper mache rocks, right? Just didn't look like <laughs> a real thing. And it was tight and constrained yeah. uh, outside that door. And the sky didn't look like real uh, exterior lighting. It looked very much like sort of studio uh, lights. Just felt like, really, this is uh, this is not good. And then the sort of even the sort of swinging around the aerial stuff, I just felt really was jumping in and out of CG just to pull off things that were better done in a Spider-Man film. And again, in a Spider-Man film, there would have been you know good gags there in Ghostbusters, right? Like when he sees the you know um, the I've forgotten the name now. Sigourney's character. No, no, Sigourney's oh. character is like and it's like I said, you know. My girlfriend's a dog, or my girlfriend's a bitch, oh, whatever yeah. the line is. Yeah. But it's like they were just really great dog, deadpan yeah. lines. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and you kind of that, that's good humor. The stuff that we're seeing here was just a bit too uh, pantomime. And then for the same token, I felt the as much as I like Pedro Pascal, and I'm just totally a Mandalorian flick, like I know you guys are. His sort of very emotional delivery as both megalomaniac and as grieving father just seemed like it didn't have any beats in it but i i i isolate the uh, acting and the direction from the visual effects here he's standing in this weird round suddenly the mm -hmm. wind's flying around thing and i'm again i just felt like i were in a set the environment work here is not giving me depth or or real a sense of um you know, the kind of physicality that you would expect at a real location. Mm -hmm. And everybody kind of just runs out of the room and you have this sort of tornado thing going around, which you can sort of stand in the middle of. I just, we should well, be able to do better to your, environment work than that. I think that goes to your 1984 uh, statement, which was, you know, you're in 1984. It doesn't mean that the architecture and everything has to be like dull Soviet block stuff yeah. like it's still it's still america in 1984 you know what i mean like you could still do 
it's a it's a future it's a it's a secret government base we've seen those before they can be cool you know what i mean it's the 80s make it like kind of neon and like weird you know what i mean like go for it like that's the yeah. thing like like uh taika waititi's thor while not set in the 80s had more of an 80s vibe than this did actually being set in the 80s uh, yeah yeah color palette and, wise like everything just felt yeah. so drab and you're like like go for the neons go f- like really do it like where's the where's you know give me some references to 80s movies give me like an exercise class where you're mocking like you know perfect from uh from uh you know travolta and whatever you know like go for it yeah like hit it but they just yeah. sort of like, yeah. Yeah, like you could have definitely had a lot of 80s references in there. And we know that we can make that work because we've seen it in Stranger Things and it's done so effectively. And it had, Stranger Things had that nostalgia of a Spielberg movie mm-hmm. that in of itself was of its time, but not of an of its time in a sort of a daggy, crass kind of everybody's, you know, got huge shoulder pads and there's no... There's no authenticity to it, you know. Like, there's tons of little details that an art department can bring, and a production design team can digitally bring to something that makes it seem much more of an era. Um, I think there was a lot plane? of there was a lot of talk about trying to do something that looked like and felt like um, the Richard Donner uh, 1979 Superman, right? Uh, which I, I think it was 79 or maybe it was 80. But um, I think there was a lot of talk about trying to kind of have it have that same kind of um, flavor, that kind of campy, but like real, like kind of earnest quality, which, I mean, I recently rewatched because that's also on HBO Max, I think is the original Richard Donner Superman. And like parts of it, I mean, Christopher Reeve is so good. Parts of it are really fun to watch. But mm-hmm. parts of it, man, I mean, are Gene so. Hackman, you know what I mean? Like, well, Gene Hackman, yeah. And, but it's parts yeah, but of see, it are I, just I, so cornball. I didn't like so Gene Hackman's goofy. exactly. Gene Hackman's cornball stuff in that film, I thought, let it down, because again, you just don't. I don't know. I just feel like that's what Marvel has done so well is when they get their villains and stuff. They're just not all like loudmouth megalomaniacs, you know. And and even let's face it, even go back to James Bond, right? Like what I liked was the humor in uh, was it Doctor No when he's like. I suppose you expect me to talk. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. You know, that plays across the audience's kind of expectation of the one-liner. If they can do it back then, we can certainly do it now, surely. Um, Let's keep going on the visual effects, though. So so that opening sequence that... Oh, sorry, you you want to say something, Jason? Oh, no, go ahead. We can talk about it after that. I was going to say, so, yeah, let's start with the opening sequence because that is a visual effects environment that does work for me. Like that seamed Mm -hmm. exterior seemed large obviously it's implausible obviously it's you know the most ridiculously unsafe environment to have a child and and all of that (laughs) but but that's the movies right we can accept that with the movie she's meant to be somehow related to a god and and also how visually interesting was it to see them leaping from pole to pole and doing absurd stuff um but at no point did i feel like they were running around inside a studio or running around uh you know, doing stuff in a very contained space because they only had so many paper mache rocks to, and so that worked super well to my taste. Um, I didn't have problems with 
even the physics, which was slightly implausible of, you know, when they would jump and do stuff, at mm-hmm. least if it was a super implausible jump, they'd kind of cut around it. So you didn't have to watch somebody move in an unnatural way. Um, they would just seem to get from one side of a, an obstacle to the other, but sort of land in a way that was uh, plausible. I thought it was well edited and uh, well art directed. And to your point, Jason, it was bright and cheery and uh, and visually interesting. You could see what was going on. Yeah. Um, Gaffert? Oh, I had, I had one comment about that while I was watching it was, again, more of a of a physics thing is that as a little girl, she seemed to have the same gate length as the grown women. So like they're, when they were on the poles, the women are going pole to pole to pole. Her let her gate would be at least half of what the other people would be. This is to our Spider-Man physics thing. But is she, but she never would have really been able to see it. No, no, I'm with you. I completely agree. You kind of right? do. They do an overhead kind of shot of them going pole to pole to pole. And she's just going boop, boop, boop and hitting the poles. And you're kind of like, I mean, I guess it's possible. You know, there's, you know, Simone Biles and like really good gymnasts certainly would be able to surpass an adult's actions. But they're, but these adults are also very athletic adults. So I like yeah. the, I like the psychological aspect of it where she used her mind to sort of circumvent her, her, shortcomings or whatever and and that made sense but there was a couple just of the physical obstacles that i was like i'm not sure that like even at her peak she'd be able to surpass this thing but i mean that's nitpicky but it sort of jumped out at me in the in the design of the sequences so matt my point is this so i agree with jason but i didn't see it like i didn't go that looks like they've just done a oh they did jump out at you jason because it didn't jump no, out no. to me. It didn't look like somebody cut and pasted somebody and then sort of dragged them in a bigger. Oh no, no, it didn't of, look. Uh, no, no, it, it physically moved proper. Like I, like she didn't look weird, but thematically in my head, yes, I yes. was doing the math. Like that seems implausible for her to move that distance, but she looked physically accurate doing it. If that makes sense. So it was executed. So well, I would praise. But, I would have. Yeah, exactly. I would praise the visual effects team because, given the impossibility of what you're asking yeah, them to 100%. pull off, it didn't. Yeah. And the editing. I think the editing was clever, right? Yeah. But you didn't yeah. labor the point of making her. It wasn't like side by side shot where it was completely yeah. obvious she'd been. But what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think that whole environment. I mean, it's definitely one of the more fun and exciting sequences in the movie, as and it's the opening sequence. You know, it's it's. But I think one of the, I, I mean, I keep coming back. I think the effects are pretty good. I, I, the only sort of physics thing I thought was the very, I think it was the very last, like final, like huzzah kind of jump that just felt like it was really far. But as you mentioned, like sort of jumping across those like pylons, kind of, you know, Mario style or whatever was kind of interesting. <laughs> and like maybe uh, the gate, I hadn't really thought about that watching it, which I think speaks to maybe what you're saying, Mike. But I think one of the reasons why that whole opening sequence is so successful, too, is that it is an echo back to the opening part of the first film, which I think is kind of, you know, the origin story. And so it's kind of, again, a little bit of that origin story, but it's also an opportunity, again, to be in that space where it's all these, like, amazing, strong women, right? It's totally devoid Mm -hmm. of any men. And I think there's an element of that uh, too, that like it, 
the movie is functioning at a high level and it also i think is elevating the effects the effects are doing their job but the story is doing its job at the same time so i feel like that's a that's a moment in the film where both elements are working in sync with one another um and i agree I, it didn't feel like it was on a stage although i'm sure probably some of that was on a stage it did feel like we were in direct sunlight for a lot of that mm -hmm. um, sequence so yeah i thought I'd love it to was know really fun like some of the athleticism away from Diane. So there was sort of, you know, there's a bit of a, um, how to put this, circus act that happens before the main event where there are women just doing athletic mm -hmm. things, right? They're riding and picking up things off the ground. And I just looked at that and it was so well done that I was like, man, are they just really good stunt women or is that digital? And that's the world I want to live in where I'm looking at it and going, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe a woman could have jumped off a horse and done that. But by the same token... Now, there are some things in Lord of the Rings where, you know, it's clearly invoke digital double, go back to real again, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just broken inertia. But in this film, I didn't get that. I was like, that's plausible that maybe a really good stunt person pulled that off. And if you can stay there with a, a modern audience, I think they just fall in yeah. love with your film. Um, yeah. Versus if they just had women at that stage just bending iron bars and, you know, turning rocks to sort of Dust, coal to yeah. diamonds yeah you'd been like yeah well whatever i don't care you know it's, well, it's like the shot of mission impossible when uh cruise falls off the motorcycle and rolls into frame you know what i mean and kind of lands really close up in the frame like that that type that's the that's the world right like you know he would die if that really happened but it's executed well that where you don't see the transfer from digital double to you know him being like oh that sucked you know close up in the yeah. frame I mean, I've fallen over here off a ladder, you know, maybe four feet from the ground. And I had to like take the rest of the afternoon off and have a lie down. Oh, yeah. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so my, uh, so it was, but if you build a plausible world where even though if I was, you know, asked to discuss it in physics terms, I'd say impossible, but I still look at it and go, maybe they pulled that impossible shot off with real people. That's what I mean. Like that's, that's, yeah, I think, yeah. marvelous. That's a lovely world to be in. Um, now, uh, for the exact reason that Matt said, it was now a cruel gesture that they did to say, hey, we could have made a really great film. Remember, like we did last time, but <laughs> we're not going to make that. We're going to make this other film. And Can we, we go talk to about pantomime. the plane? Can we talk about the plane with the Mr. Miyagi invisible plane bit? Yeah. Sure. I was going to go to the uh, the mall, but let's go to the plane. Yeah. And yeah. and. And by the and, way, it's really good that Steve knows how to fly modern technology that yeah, has been exactly. invented many decades after he existed. Yeah, he yeah. just looks around. And he's like, "Oh, um, push button start." Sure, that makes sense. Like, yeah, I don't know I what think, a dustbin is, but I understand modern aviation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I personally have an issue with the fact that Wonder Woman flies her own jet. Why do we need Steve to fly the jet? I would rather have seen her fly the jet and him in the passenger seat being like, whoa, this is awesome. I know, you know, there and to Mike, your point, that's the joke. Him being like, I'm glad you didn't ask me to fly this thing. Like, that's the joke. Right. But instead, we have to watch her as the as the passenger kind of look lovingly like, oh, I I'm so happy you figured it out, honey. You know, what I mean, don't yeah. don't tell the guy how to drive the car bit. Now, and if I'm not mistaken, the first one was props, right? So, A, he knew how to fly a jet fighter. Yeah. But 
the bigger point for me was it's so convenient that Smithsonian leaves fueled up jets on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to fly to Cairo, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it's LA, just super handy DC. that they don't like yeah. disable those things for when there is the public around. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad From that the US does that, by the way. standpoint, though, like I, I actually did think that that sequence was uh, like I, as a kid growing up in the 70s, I knew Wonder Woman really primarily not from comics i didn't really read comics that much as a kid but i knew her from the the cartoon the super friends which was this mm -hmm. goofy cartoon <laughs> that was on yeah. when i was a kid and i and i loved watching i'd watch it with my sister and i guess linda carter too right the wonder woman lived with linda carter yeah and um and so i grew up watching that and so i always knew about wonder woman having an invisible jet right which is such a ridiculous like what what is that like an invisible jet like how's that yeah. what does that look like and in the cartoon it was it just looked like it was made out of like clear you know plexiglass right it was kind of the because she, she was, was never, visible she was she visible, was visible. Her. <laughs> yeah but but you i see her thought, butt from below but not the plane that she was sitting <laughs> in yeah. yeah exactly like one of those chairs at the museum of modern art gift shop or something but, yes um, exactly yeah where you think i would not want to sit on that but um I think uh, the thing in the effects in it, when when the way that um, you know the environment and the background is kind of um, uh, mm -hmm. bending and moving around the you know the invisible glass or whatever you know the sort of invisibility uh, spectral kind of nature of the thing, I think was visually interesting. The only thing that I, I have to say, like I, I enjoyed that sequence. I thought it was kind of fun, and they sort of pause for a moment with the fireworks, and it's kind of this, mm -hmm. I guess, sort of romantic moment between the two of them. So it's kind of nice because it kind of slowed the story down for just a brief bit, which I enjoyed. But I also, um, and I thought it was visually interesting. But I, I did find myself disappointed in the the overall arc of the invisible jet being this one off. And then later it turns out, which I don't know that this was ever the Wonder Woman that I knew about, but she can fly. Oh, okay. I didn't know she could fly. Like without a jet. Yeah. She can just fly mm -hmm. like Superman. Yeah. The fact that she could fly without a jet and the fact that she could swing like spider person. Well, and her lasso, lasso went for like miles all of a sudden. Yeah. Which I don't was... think was ever a thing. I, I mean, I didn't no. read the comics, but I saw the TV shows and the cartoons and maybe yeah, they were. tell the truth, right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe they were hamstringing her, but by doing you know shortening it for the TV show or something. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but yes, the the but isn't that isn't this back to the plot now? Because the well, yeah. it's a visual effects problem caused by bad plot, right? Because it's like we need a device. Oh, we'll use the lasso. Well, the lasso doesn't really do that because now, of course, it's an infinite lasso that you know has its own personality, and you can you know train like a dog kind of thing. Um, and it's limited, right? Like it's limited in the fight in the White House, but not limited at the end, um, which, yeah, just, you know what? Somebody else said this, and I think it's totally true. You know how earlier I said that uh, that sequence, um, that they could have done so much with the technology and, you know, playing off the fact that it was 1984 and we all know that you could solve those problems today. Um, the That's one way to go. The other way to go was to hire whoever it was that made the promo for this film using New Order and just give them a yeah. ton of money to edit the bajillicans out of this and make it cool. Because the other yeah. way you could have gone in 1984 is made it actually pretty cool. Because 1984, yeah. that New Order soundtrack, um, that mm -hmm. promo, I was like, oh, I so want to see this. And the only other time I remember doing that was in Thor, or recently in yeah. Thor, when they released it, you know, where they had the- um, Zeppelin. Uh, the, 
Zeppelin track, exactly. And it was so cool. But Marvel there went, oh my God, this is a, a what do you call it? It was a, a Steelomatic, effectively, that was done by the director. We need to buy the rights to this song. And then they put it in the trailer and then they put it in the film. And we were all like, yes. And I felt yeah. like in this film, if they'd done that, instead of going for the soggy stuff and actually made that nine, that, you know, that jet track a kind of hardcore almost top mm -hmm. gun montage with a new order soundtrack yeah. that film oh, yeah. would have been absolutely cool well yeah if they'd gone yeah, like but, cool yeah. 80s like you know like cool yeah. 80s being like the hunger and you know things like yeah that, like really yeah. crazy like well you get that one you get that one kind of like dumb punk rock kids r walking by them in the dc train station with the right. bad brains shirt and the chrome egg shirt and you're like you're like okay there's like is that's for the parents at this point, right? Yeah. But you know, but still it was like they were the goofiest looking punks ever. Like there just yeah. wasn't it just wasn't and and I didn't even think about it outside of the visual 80s stuff until you just said it, Mike, that there's literally no 80s music in the movie. It's all scored. And it could have been it could have been such a cool retro yeah. thing. And I don't think yeah. that the younger generation would have bucked it because you could have oh, done it in a way it. Yeah, and it would have been, you know, like really bring back some hip 80s stuff that was cool in its day yeah. and just tweak it a bit so it's not quite so, you know, but, but don't make it comical. Don't like make it Bordvillian and, and silly. Yeah. And yeah, it could have been like, whoa, you know, dad, I did you the, ever live through that? The Stranger Things comparison is really, is really a smart one because I think Stranger Things leans uh, really heavily into that in a big way, even putting like, um, you know, corny shit like uh, air supply and stuff, I think, on mm -hmm. one of the episodes. And, you know, it's it's so goofy. But then you hear it in, in the context of the of the show and you're like, oh, that, that kind of works, you know? <laughs> it's like it yeah. totally functions, you know, seeing uh, this and having like, you know, sweet dreams or something in the background, you know, another kind of like yeah, there would have iconic been so many song. good like moments. All those things would really work in that context. And they just for whatever reason, yeah, they just skip that. That's that's a big This kind of felt like the it felt kind of like the T V version of Highlander. Yeah. But yeah, but not as good. But <laughs> yeah, you know like well, even, why yeah, couldn't you like you know when Chris Pine is walking around and he hits that astronaut in the suit in before he discovers yeah. that he doesn't know what a garbage bin is. Like at the Smithsonian, if I'm not mistaken, they have, you know, like a big model of the Enterprise. Now, why not do a couple of in-joke jokes where, you know, I, I shouldn't go on about plot. I should get back to visual effects. But, you know, like I would have loved to Chris to have like hit a scene an Enterprise and looked at it kind of curiously. And then us all have a little inside joke. Okay, well, he played Kirk and, you know, mm -hmm. like. But they, they just never let the audience bring their intelligence to the interpretation of what was going on on screen. It had to be laid out. Now, that... Sorry, gun. I was going to say that whole section of them, like their stroll through DC was the most boring shit ever. Yeah. Like it was like these long takes of just them. Like they, he'd do something, they'd cut to her and she'd be like crazy kid. Like she just got to give that yeah. weird mom look and you'd be like, oh, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could have imagined a whole lot of plot improvements, not least of which is, uh, as I say, that 80s cool thing. But getting back to the visual effects. So the, the visual effects of... Um, uh, the action of her doing stuff, right, uh, is something that I wanted to discuss. So I yeah. thought that while I had problems with the acting in the mall sequence, her 
characters' movements around the mall seem mm-hmm. pretty plausible, right? Like the, I mean, okay, yeah, there's some weird stuff there, but most of the weird stuff is really from goofy um, villains suddenly, you know, going through weird objects and and uh, doing dumb things. But she, as a digital or real character, moved around the mall scene pretty well. Like when she boomerangs her head thing, you know, mm-hmm. it looked like it was doing what it was meant to do. There was an absence of uh, insight, but the visual effects team accomplished what they were given, I thought, pretty well in the mall. I, I didn't have an, a mall problem other than it looked a bit like a set, but I don't know how you'd make a mall not look like a set because by definition it's that kind of closed-in soundstage type yeah, environment. I didn't, I didn't have any problem with the mall scene at all, really, other than the, like, I didn't personally have a problem with the campy villains because it kind of, like, seems what DC does uh, with their movies, but... I kind of, it's kind of funny. Like, hey, let's get in the back and get the stuff. Everyone's got a Brooklyn accent for some reason that makes them bad. But um, <laughs> they, uh, they, I, I thought her, to your point, Mike, her overall physicality, whether it was real or digital, matched really well. And mm. uh, her, her actual physical stuff where she's sliding on the floor or throwing something or doing something, it, it feels natural that's in that sequence. It felt very in, in most of the movie, her physical actions, I think, you know, non-digital actions are all pretty, uh, she's, she executes them pretty well athletically. Um, but the mall sequence, I thought the same that it all strings together really well. There's some discontinuity, but that's fine because you're jumping around a large space and you're just kind of jumping over here and she enters frame. And that's fine because she's also meant to be mysterious at that point to the mall goers. So you also don't, you maybe there, you know, you're going for a little bit of mystery for the uh, viewer, for the audience as well. Um, I don't know, Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, the mall stuff, I don't know, it, it didn't, none of it really uh, stood out to me as being good or bad. It felt like it was sort of the, um, again, it was like the equivalent of like those sort of first scenes in um, the Richard Donner Superman where it's like he, you know, catches the falling helicopter and picks up the guy, the criminals on the boat or whatever in the in the East River or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, you know, those are similar sequences in the, the mall scene just seemed like a way to sort of introduce the character in kind of a fun way that was in the, I guess it, it's a faithful recreation of uh, a mall in DC, in the DC suburbs, Northern Virginia. Um, there's a store in it called uh, Commander Salamander, which was like the punk rock store at the time. And my wife, hmm. when we were watching it, she was like, no way, Commander Salamander. Like, that's where she used to get her <laughs> Doc Martin boots or whatever when she was oh, nice. a teenager. So it was kind of cool, Just, like, for her in that there was a, a real thing right. in there. But yeah, I mean, to, there was nothing in it. Editor, that, I still wear Doc Martens. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think there was anything in it effects-wise in that sequence that um, didn't really work. I mean... So can I contrast that with the fight at the White House then? Because the fight Mm -hmm. at the White House, I feel there there were more moves where characters were flying around and doing Mm -hmm. stuff, where it almost felt like it was a character on rails. I think it it might even be in the trailer. There's a scene where Cheetah swings around a uh, vertical column. column, And it's like, so there's several problems with that. Like, I'm not sure how she's turning around the column. She doesn't seem to be gripping the column. If she was gripping the column, by the nature of 
force, I'd expect her legs to go out much wider and obviously whatever's holding onto the column would stay close to the column. But instead of that, she seems to go around it vertically as if, again, like she's on rails, she's sitting on a seat that moves you know, parallel to the column around it. And I feel like those are problems that, that again, it's, it's physics, but it's not, it's not that it has to be real world physics, it just has to be kind of like plausible physics. And in the world, I couldn't understand how she was moving. She wasn't like, you know, if she really jumped, then I expect it to have the sort of the landing of a jump. If it's uh, spinning around because she's leapt and then caught the pole somehow with some cat claws, I'd expect there to be marks on the pole. There was just no kind of logical way yeah, that she was going around. Yeah, the pole was marble, so that would be pretty hard to hold on to on a swing. So, so how does she go around it? I mean, I just don't know. Like, and I don't think at any point, like, I sort of felt like she was going around it. I just felt like it was a, not wasn't a two D move, of course, but it was sort of like a a two dimensional three D move in the sense it's just like a. Yeah. I think you described it earlier. It's a bit like a cardboard cutout going around, and it's uh, it's it's an interesting problem because I feel like that just wasn't selling that effect. Like, it was not that it was a bad comp; it was bad motion. And uh, and so it just felt clearly this is just a completely fake thing, out, taking me out of the movie. Now, there are other fake things where people, you know, throw lassoes. And I felt like the lasso kind of looked like it was a real lasso to a certain extent at this point in the show. Um, and so therefore, obviously, I know it's not a glowing gold lasso and that's a fake thing, but it still sort of felt like the movement of a lasso. Some of, uh, of um, Cheetah's movements in this fight sequence really bothered me. I don't know what you I guys think thought. That's actually, Versus I them think all. I think there's a consistent problem throughout this movie with, uh, well, maybe except for what we were talking about in that opening sequence, although we kind of were saying it sort of is there too, <laughs> with with gravity, you know, like with the way that the characters, it's a very floaty, flighty kind of um, superhero engagement. There's not a lot of like hard gravity on the ground. There's this, There's a sequence in, uh, the desert, I think, like where mm -hmm. uh, she, they're in a truck and she has to run and catch up to another truck to stop it from hitting another yep. vehicle or something. And there's a sequence of her running, uh, the the Wonder Woman character running, as, you know, at top speed, like she's running as fast as she can. And they do actually show her from sort of, you know, they show her, you know, close up kind of running towards camera, kind of like really kind of actually running really hard. And, and um, but then they show her like full frame from the side where we actually see mm -hmm. her feet and the road. And it's that same kind of floaty thing where she's moving in a, in a way where there's no up and down motion of her body. Like she's, she's yep. running and mm -hmm. her, but her torso is completely, uh, fixed in this kind of lateral yeah. trajectory, horizontal uh, or parallel to the ground plane, right? And her feet are not quite touching the ground in a way that would be, it, it's again, <laughs> I keep bringing up the Richard Donner Superman, but I just watched it. There's a scene in the Richard Donner Superman where they have the young Clark Kent racing home from football practice mm -hmm. yep. when he, and, and he's, he's on like, wires and yeah, he's yeah. on a wire and it looks a lot like that. I know that's not yep. how they did this, but it mm. looks really similar. It has that same kind of artificiality where they, she's moving at such a speed that her legs are actually incapable. A human's legs couldn't move that fast. And I think that's a problem you could resolve with visual effects in terms of shot design by creating 
you know, kind of like a super speed kind of leg motion that was actually mm -hmm. tracking with the speed of the ground. Motion blur, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you could do it. It would might maybe it would look like uh, the Tasmanian devil in a cartoon or something. Maybe it wouldn't <laughs> look that great. I don't know, but I, I feel like there's a way that you could do it, even maybe with camera motion in that sequence, where like just to make it feel like her body is moving up and well, down a little bit too, because she's so static. Well, you could do something like like the way when um, when Ant Man shrinks or gets bigger, and there's that echo effect like that is super super yeah. uh visual and you get it it's like you know you get, a i love that chromatic aberration they add to that which you wouldn't use in this case but you could have some sort of like cool ghosty trail thing that like where she, it like almost like she's being pulled apart like at the end of the fountain yeah or where you're like you oh know? this is a this is a superpower Right. Yeah. And to yeah. know that she's a superhero using a superpower, yeah. like some other visual design element, but it's it's trying to sort of walk this line between being real but being a superpower, and it doesn't yeah. quite work. Like, cause and that, it's and and in the same sequence, there's a problem I feel with the consistency of how she interacts with her environment with that superpower. Now, the example I'll give you is when she's between the two vehicles and she's trying to stop being crushed by them, she has a back on one vehicle, feet on the other, right? Now, if she has the kind of strength that we'll see in a moment, her pushing on the truck that is, let's face it, just going along in parallel should have either caused the truck to move away or at least crumpled the metal on the side of the truck. Yeah. Because in a moment from that, She'll push that same thing sideways where both wheels are now moving 90 degrees to the way that wheels yeah. should move. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. you've ever tried moving something where it's not the way the wheels go, like a shopping trolley <laughs> um, that's got its wheels locked, you, you, you know, like a trolley, anything like that, it's basically rubber on metal yeah. uh, on road. And so it's incredibly hard to push something sideways if it's not moving, if it's just static and you're pushing it sideways. Um, so again, you'd expect resistance to cause buckling of the metal or, you know, like if she's got that much power that she can do that, then the forces around the vehicles would exhibit those as a reactionary element. Or at least so a big, I'd, or at least a lot of rubber smoke, you know, a like- A huge amount of rubber smoke, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so she's like struggling to push two vehicles aside when they're both running in parallel down a street where that really is not a lot of resistance to going sideways. You know, you bump a car, it bumps to the side. Um, but if she can't bump the car, then how can she push them sideways uh, yeah. so effectively in that uh, in that scene that comes through three later? The, and so my, I- No, go ahead, finish. Sorry. I was going to say, so I think that it's, it's up to the visual effects team to sort of plausibly come up with those smaller details that will sell that she can do that, right? If she can't, push vehicles apart, then she can't. But if she's exhibiting this, then we should see a lot more interaction than what we're seeing. And and it's so that it doesn't make those vehicles seem heavy. She The, the yeah. expression of the animation makes them no longer feel plausibly yeah. weighty and heavy. Do we Did we like the Indiana Jones uh, rip under the, under the car? And then the flip, the, the, the break the axle and flip it over kind of? vibe that which was catapulted Indiana Joan meets meets a uh, dark knight yeah <laughs> yeah or night I mean watch, that's depending a, on which it's a good trailer going. it's a good trailer yeah. piece I feel um, um my issue was not even with that that was just a side thing but 
is they clearly shot it outside. You know what I mean? Yep. To Matt's point about the opening, like they were very clearly lit by the sun. It was outside. There was tons of practical shots um, in that it sprinkled through the editorial. However, <clears throat> when they went into her close-ups and her sort of super movements, there was a ton of shots where the background looked super fake. And I don't know if it was like just a comp like issue and it was on green screen or, and they had a green screen in the, in the, you know, physical space behind her just for that. Or if they did like pickup shots on a virtual production wall, or I don't know they, 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 they didn't match at all. They were mostly head on shots where they cut around and then she'd jump at the camera or something. And there was a slightly vignetted kind of off color temperature, like, you know, warmish, uh, background that that really jumped out to me. Maybe it's because it's on my TV and not in a theater. I don't know, but no, no, um, you know, I'm watching point. it in Dolby Vision in 4K, so it should be should be pretty spot on. But um, it just there was a bunch of cutaways. It sort of happens throughout the movie. There's a bunch of specific cutaways where the backgrounds just don't look. The comp is not good, and I couldn't put my finger on if it was green screen or virtual production or what, but. Well, there's definitely some, I mean, I th there's some impossible camera in this movie for yeah. sure. And that's something yeah. that I think, you know, is, I mean, you know, we get into talking, I always feel like impossible cameras, like an important thing to bring up because I, I feel like I see it and I don't like it. Although what's so weird now is I have to confess, I've seen so many things now that are actually shot with drones that look like impossible mm -hmm. cameras. And I think like <laughs> there's kind of ridiculous, but, but they, but they're real, you know, like crazy shots that some super mm -hmm. expert drone pilots pull off, but, um, yeah, like going around a roller coaster or something like that. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. The FPV crew. guys are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that stuff's pretty amazing, but, but there are some shots in that sequence where I, it, that, that whole sequence, I think memory serves looks really, um, like it, it does look kind of desaturated a little bit too, yes. or sort of like mm -hmm. graded heavily towards like kind of a, like a greenish desaturated color. Yep. And that I think makes that background look kind of goofy, but there are some shots of her, like she saves that little kid, right? She swoops down mm -hmm. and picks up the little kid that's in the road. And, and there's a Two shot of, of her. Yeah. She, she picks, she's holding the kid or kids and she's swinging yeah. on the rope and we see her and we're moving, the camera's moving with her on her, on her mm -hmm. magic rope and the background behind it looks like it looks like what it is, which is a comp with an impossible camera and a, a physically mm -hmm. impossible effects move. And so I think for the effects team, a shot like that is really challenging to pull off because you're fighting against multiple factors that are kind of working against you in that context. And then depending upon didn't what you, they do in the grade too. Then you Wait, feel like in I a add? comp sense. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to add to that, the ending of that shot when she rolls in the road, I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure she's holding rubber dolls <laughs> for about well, two of the rolls. And those kids and if would they're be not, dead, right? <laughs> well, the kids would be dead because she rolls on top of them. Yeah. But when she rolls, there are, I think it might be actually her or a stunt person rolling for real with dolls because uh, it yeah. looks... Like the digital kids would look way better 
or I, I just don't see how someone would animate that. If you could fix that, I don't know how why you wouldn't. So it seems to me they gave her a bunch of rubber rubber dolls and said, just do it because it'll look better. Or it's, you know, we can get away with not, you know, doing visual effects there because or heavy visual effects because we don't need a digital double and we'll save that money for a better shot later or something. But I was just kind of like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> I was going to say that to that shot in the desert, as well as some of the window shots out the window when they're flying in the plane and a few other places, mm -hmm. um, like when they're coming to the secret island, it feels like somebody wanted to add atmosphere to the CG. So they've put a kind of almost a promised, uh, white promised haze in the shot. It's kind of tried to digitally fog it up with a kind of a, um, like a promise almost, as opposed to an actual volumetric fog. And as a consequence, it has a very um, computer generated or at least artificial feel to it. And There's a really ton of that around her when, when she is actually learning to fly and she's in the clouds. There's a ton of yeah. that like edge, kind of edge softness, edge haze kind of, it's not edge blending, but like it's, like they're they're doing something to really soften that edge around they're, they're, her. That they're trying to bloom the highlights around her, yeah. so she's not sitting out from it. But it just doesn't work for me. Um, also, was I, that the most stable plane ever? Like those shots, <laughs> there was no wobble in that plane at all. I mean, that guy's for having not for having been dead for fifty years or whatever he was, and not fly a, that kind of plane before. It was pretty. They're flying through through turbulent like fireworks you know, air, hot and cold air change and all sorts of stuff. I'm sure it's happening in that zone. And it's just like this straight plane where they're just like in a roller coaster ride being like, oh, it's so romantic. You're like, you're like, hold on a second. Can we just get a little wobble, like just put the thing on a gimbal and have a grip kick it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> see, I would have I would have gone the other way. I would have done some really nice volumetric vortexes that the invisible yeah. plane was putting through the fireworks. Yeah. Which could have looked really awesome, right? Like some really mm -hmm. nice Houdini volume work. So so I would say uh, on the whole, like while there is some really good work in places, there is some real letdowns in the environment work and some letdowns in the comp work for me. Um, and I didn't, and I wasn't predisposed to cut them a lot of slack because I was so upset about the plot. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got to Cheetah, I got very upset and was like, oh, really, please, for the love of God. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a thumbs down from me on on that score. I look, I just feel like some of these techniques were ones we were relying on, um, you know, ten or fifteen years ago. And God knows, like if I'd done these work this work ten or fifteen years ago, I would have felt really proud of myself. Don't get me wrong, but given the what we can achieve today in uh, work that we've seen from some facilities, and with the virtual production stuff that's appearing right now, I just feel mm -hmm. like you've got to lift your game above this to. To be playing in the A game, which this should be at. Um, yeah, yeah. But look, I, it may sound a little harsh, but I just feel like that's it just wasn't. What do you think? Like when you when you look at it, like as a whole, what what would you speculate as to being the the thing that's at issue? Is it budget? Is it design? Is it like you know shot design? Is it you know choice in terms of execution? Like it just it does it does it. I would agree. I think there's a lot of places where it it doesn't feel like it's up to snuff for a film of this sort of so to a certain pedigree extent, caliber, you know, like it should be better yeah. than this. Maybe the inherent problem is once you go down the path of trying to make it like a Superman, you know, first Superman film, which we all remember 
as being marvellous, because it was at the time marvellous. The trouble is that that's not the modern aesthetic. And so if you're trying to impose our visual effects into that previous thing, you're kind of getting the worst of it as well as the best of it. So you're getting that, as you said, like the running example, it, it worked not very well back then, but we cut it a lot more slack because we you know, never had a film like that. And it had some other shots in it that were so amazingly awesome you know, that we just sort of forgave it. And you had Marlon Brando and it was just like, you know, it was everything. Mm -hmm. Today, it's like, no, I feel like they've gone down that path and that's dragged the visual effects into a world of sort of candy, flossy, neony 80s nostalgia, but it's not, that's not cutting it as far as the visual effects go. You need to have a different visual effects aesthetic. Mm -hmm. It would be very hard to have that meeting where you say, look, I know we're trying to make it look like this, but if we make the visual effects look like that, they'll look ineffectual. Um, so if he, if there'd been this, as I say, if there'd been a different take on it, if it had been, um, it might've been easier at the pre-pro meetings, if it had been like, yeah, we're going to make the coolest eighties film you've seen in ages, or mm -hmm. let's say it's another one, right? They could have gone a whole different way and just portrayed how sexist it still was in society in 1984 and that a woman would just be, you know, mansplained all the time to your point about the jet, for example, right? Like, I'm sorry, I'm flying the jet just because you're a guy, you don't get to fly the jet when you've got no idea what's going mm -hmm. on. Like, why would you even assume that you could do this, right? He's like, well, I'm a guy. <laughs> so that kind of thing, right? Yeah. We never got any of that. But if you'd gone down that path, you could have gone for a more realistic uh, thing. Like, it's appalling that you could be a superhero in 1984 and, and people would be only talking about your ass in the costume or something. And she'd be like, I don't understand how this is. Um, a valid thing in the society or whatever it is, this different take yeah. than the one they went for. Yeah, uh, you have to maybe be pretty judic judicious when you decide you want to be charming uh, with visual effects, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, to your point, not Matt, Patty Jenkins' punk background, you'd think would predispose her to like like being able to, to stir up a, a pretty killer soundtrack to this. Yeah. Even, yeah. even not going like deep cuts. You know what I mean? She doesn't have to pull out suicide tracks but she could pull out you know um you know like mike said like new order and you know um you know uh killer whatever yeah know? i mean yeah. you could have you could have for some reason you know uh diana having to hide out with a you know indie band of the 80s that's you know synth pop yeah. right and it could be not mockery but like just she's such a fish out of water again, but in a whole different fish out of water environment now. Mm -hmm. And it would have been charming, I think, as opposed to this sort of, um, I guess for me, the 80s weren't pastels. I didn't live through an 80s with pastels. I lived through Doc Martens with Matt's, mm -hmm. <laughs> with Matt's wife, albeit on different continents. My yeah. 80s wasn't pathetic and and yeah. uh, neon and pastels. That was, I liked the 80s. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh, Hollywood. Uh, sorry, I wasn't a Wall Street, uh, you know, yeah. read is good. Yeah, I was all so, hardcore matinees at CBGB's, you know. Yeah, was... exactly, right? <laughs> um, so so I think that would have been uh, slightly more interesting. And uh, But yeah, so that that's a very good question, Matt, like what makes the visual effects. But at the end of the day, I do feel like the more we take visual effects and just use it to plaster over odd plot points, like how she can suddenly fly or how she can suddenly lasso clouds without any basis, like how there's suddenly a magic 
you know, rock that just grants wishes that's come out of nowhere and that has no backstory and that we're just going to put a lot of visual effects in. Um, it, it never works. It just, you know, it's almost like you, the more you try and plaster over with the visual effects, the more it makes the visual effects look out of place. Um, yeah. In the opening sequence, there's clearly a bunch of visual effects. It just didn't seem out of place because they weren't plastering over big problems and they were pulling off problems that would have been made glaring had the visual effects been done poorly, like uh, Jason's point about the jumping. But through clever editing, through clever visual effects, they produced a plausible world that I was like leaning into. Um, But again, look, how do we know how those meetings went down, right? I mean, we we make these criticisms not having the insight of being in the room when someone might have been pitching, but, 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 and the director or whoever was saying, no, 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 it'll be great. The audience will love it. Yeah, she lasses lightning. It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. We're all like, um, but yeah. So I guess, I guess uh, it's a shame. And one of the reasons I think we're, I'm certainly being so harsh on this film is that I really like the first one so much, and yeah, I agree with you. I like mm-hmm. the individual actors and the players here, um, the director, the you know the cast, um, the visual effects companies themselves that worked on this are really good companies, um, but it just didn't come together. It's not cats. Thank God, but it's certainly not uh, Stranger Things or, uh, for that matter, the, the movie that I wanted it to. Can be. I say? Can I say when when she and this is what I think might have been a cooler plot point is when he looks and he goes, "Is that a plane?" and he looks at the space shuttle, you know, thing on the side of the building when after their the dumb uh, garbage can art bit. Um, she goes, come with me. I have something to show you. And she pulls a card out of her pocket and scans in like a like a building we don't know because we don't get an exterior shot. I was like, oh, is she in like the Justice League headquarters? And she's going to be like, check out my fucking invisible jet, bro. Like, I was like, this is okay, sweet. This is totally the invisible jet bit. Like, it has to be. But it was like a weird, like, Grand Theft Auto invisible jet kind of thing. You know what I mean? I was just kind of like, oh, that's lame. Like, I totally thought she was going to go like, Cairo, I got you. Get my invisible jet. Let's go, buddy. You know, you think a space shuttle is cool. Guess what I got? You know, Uh, but yeah. So I was just like, ugh. And then we still didn't talk about the Mr. Miyagi bit uh, where she's like, oh, I I once made a coffee cup disappear, but then I lost it. And you're like, okay, so you've only done this once before the coffee cup, but now you're super like, able to just go like i don't know let me try the mm, you know rubbery material between my hands which looked fine looked good and then you know laying of hands on the on the thing and the whole thing disappears on the takeoff which was a nice visual effect shot when it took off you saw the vapor trails curl up and it disappeared and poof okay you know well done but but compare and contrast that to when the first of the heli character heli um Heli carriers went up in Marvel, right? And it oh, was yeah. invisible. And it was just like you were practically cheering in the cinema, like, oh yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> like and also it was that great reveal of, you know, you guys might want to come inside kind of thing. You're gonna, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, what? <laughs> and yeah. uh yeah, and the audience has wonder and it's it's implausible. Mm-hmm. Of course it's implausible, right? You can never get enough thrust and you'd throw up so much water, it's ridiculous. All of that's true, and yet the beautiful effects work done, I think, mm-hmm. by whoever who did that. Anyway, the water coming out of the bits of the ILM, I would going imagine. Up. No, yeah. it wasn't actually ILM. It was um, 
the guys that do so much water stuff. Um, I'll think about it in a second. But uh, yeah, the water coming off that heli character mm -hmm. was such fine detail. It was such beautiful fidelity of uh, stuff. It just gave all this physical plausibility to an otherwise incredibly implausible thing and sold the effect. And mm -hmm. I guess that's at the end of the day, when we're playing at being visual magicians, we have to make things seem as plausible as possible. Well, of course, the audience knows it's fake in the same way the magician's audience knows that the pigeon doesn't really come out of thin air, but you can't see how they did it because everything else looks so believable. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, guys, I think that kind of wraps up the show for, for this week, but uh, any last thoughts, Matt? Uh, I think uh, we should all share a, a photograph of ourselves from the 80s for the show. Okay. Gosh, that's a challenge. <laughs> all right. That's that's one thing uh, I think we should do. Uh, but no, 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 no other closing thoughts. I think we should do that. Uh, um, and to uh, all of our listeners, if anybody is interested, check out my other uh, – show my 8111 show where i talk to uh former co-workers from ilm it's it keeps going i've got one episode that i don't know that i'll ever be able to release but um maybe it'll be the last episode i release okay i can't that's say very what cryptic. it is but yeah <laughs> that's Just as cryptic as the what is 8111 mean yeah oh yeah no one said it yet i don't get it anyway Okay. But it is a great podcast and we totally recommend it. And uh, what about you, Jason? Uh, you know, just over here living, making it happen. Well, I'm glad you are living and I'm Grinding glad you're it out. healthy. Grinding it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Got some cool stuff to talk about soon. But uh, other than that, just, uh, you know, doing our thing. Excellent. And uh, I've been going on a bit about a virtual production in this podcast, not least of which is I've just been doing a couple of stories on virtual production and if you want to go over to FX Guide when this comes out, we should have our story on uh, Mandalorian Season 2, Lessons Learned in Virtual Production. Um, I'm a big advocate of virtual production for a whole lot of reasons, and it's great to once again go deep diving with the uh, Mando team and, and discuss some of the lessons they learned between 1 and 2 and moving forward, stuff that they're currently testing at ILM, which I think uh, will blow the socks off doing sort of – it's basically breaking out from the current um, – virtual environment set and i was talking to them they're just doing experiments about it at the moment but they're very kind to share those uh how those experiments are going to run and wow uh just uh, you can hear me when i when i was or if you listen to the audio as, as they're describing it i was like oh my god that's so obvious why did i think of that it's genius anyway that's all over at uh, at fx guy until next time uh, i'm mike seymour thank you matt thank you jason and we'll see you guys next time if you have any questions or comments please email us at vfx at fxguide.com Copyright FX Guide LLC.